the theme for the uh, afternoon talk is the heart, God and the Dharma. These teachings and uh, practices with which we are engaged are intended as a real important contribution to our waking up, to the depth and expansion of the heart, a contribution towards clarity of mind, a sense of uh, well-being and most important uh, a wisdom in which in the relationship uh, to life that we no longer in our relationship to life feel oppressed by it fearful of it or feel to be kind of caught up or, so to speak, lost in its grip. <coughs> and therefore, in the <coughs> exploration of the human experience, it really is addressing the fullness of human experience, and sometimes looking at the language and our response to it. So, with the theme of the talk, on the heart, on God and uh, the Dharma, I'd like to uh, address it with you, uh, explore a little bit from the history and of course, so important here, what our actual experience <coughs> is and the different ways of looking at it and the different kinds of language uh, which can be uh, uh, used. Let's type very, very simply now two-minute history lesson here. Um, at the time of uh, the Buddha, the primary belief was the belief in Brahma. And Brahma uh, is God. Brahma is God the Creator. The name Brahma is equivalent to uh, God, to Jehovah, to uh, Allah as God the Creator. And this was the primary belief it was the word which was used most frequently at that time and those who had the uh, religious authority who l took care of the Vedas who were responsible for the, the continuity of the language which is um, Sanskrit and who protected the rites, the rituals, the ceremonies, so forth, were the Brahmins. The Brahmins were the uh, representatives of Brahma on earth. And the Brahmins protected the caste system in which, of course, they were first in the caste. And the second were the military, and the third were the farmers and uh, the middle classes uh, and uh, fourth were the workers, mostly in the field workers and then there were the sudras, the untouchables. 
who are outside of the system, outside of the caste. And that reference to uh, uh, Brahma was one in which, according to these uh, discourses of the Buddha, great reference, deference was actually uh, uh, made to Brahma. In the name of Brahma, the sacrifices took place, the animal sacrifices. In the, na- in the name of uh, Brahma, the four castes were under the authority, we, uh, we might say, the authorization of Brahma through the text to the Brahmins uh, uh, and there was networks as well this is the, the world of the Buddha at this time there were the networks of people the Sanghas uh, and the Sanghas had renounced stepped outside of the caste system as the Buddha did and they were the yogis they were the mendicants they were the homeless wanderers in the spiritual search for truth and the, the fabric of India, spiritual relig- religious India, had a dynamic relationship between the two, in which the duty of the householders was to give support to the, the yogi, to uh, uh, the yogis uh, there. And the word yoga, of course, like it with the English yote, it means to be joined to, connected with connected with the ultimate reality, connected with God there. All of this is important because it's important for us here. And the reason that it's important for us here, in these kind of teachings and practices, for some people, which includes some people in this uh, hall and all the other groups and retreats, the word God uh, uh, it itself um, it's one of those words in the matters of the heart to be able to take this word and there are other words as well but to take this word here and to see through one's quiet own experience what the response is to hearing the word God and letting this particular uh, word or whatever our home language is for this word kind of rest and sink inside and the reason I regard this for some people uh, uh, is uh, important because for some it can have for some a healthy resonance for some it touches uh, something uh, uh, deep not necessarily because you or I have had a Judeo-Christian uh, 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 upbringing, but some, for some there's a feeling response to it. And I think this feeling response to this word is, is quite healthy and quite important. And what gives some support uh, uh, to this, the Buddhist tradition has been noticeably for the past two, two and a half thousand years proudly proclaiming itself to anyone who wants to listen 
that it doesn't, there is no God in Buddhism, uh, that it's an, it's an atheist uh, tradition uh, there. And this view is stated repeatedly, but there's a major problem with it. The Buddha has used the word Brahma. It means creator, it means the overlord, it means the one who made heaven and earth. It means the one that religious aspirants can come and reach and the Buddha has used this word regularly, not in an anti-God language, but actually in a rather warm, sympathetic uh, language and one has to look at the text to really see that. And there are many uses. He uses the word Brahma interchangeably with the word Dharma. So here in Sarana, as it is said, the Buddha set the Dharma wheel rolling. But he also says he set the Brahma wheel rolling. That the wheel rolling towards God, the wheel rolling towards the profound understanding of the of the Dharma. And this occasional use there. And I, I, when I'm reading and going through the text, I thought, wow, Buddha's much more keen on God than I am. And why, what's, what, what's, the, what's the intention? And then as I read and went, went through the text, what he is doing, and in my own small, modest, unimportant way, is trying to do the same this afternoon uh, there, is for some people there is a warm response to the word God, a feeling of maybe closeness to God, a feeling of love of God. For others of you who are here, G-O-D has no relevance, no meaning whatsoever, and you'll get a much warmer feeling from hearing D-O-G than G-O-D. You get the point. So, so the movement, heartfulness, language, G-O-O-D, and the variety of places in the text uh, there where this expression or appreciation or, uh, uh, or acknowledgement of the use of the language of, of God. One of the most prominent examples uh, of it, and most of you will know, uh, those of you who have been in the, the Dharma world for some while, is the Brahma Vihara. And Vihara, it's the place to dwell. It's the place, it's uh, Vihara. Monasteries are called Viharas there. Bihar, uh, 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 state uh, next door here to UP, is, uh, has its origins in the same word, Vihara. It's an, a place to abide. It's 
homey place, it's the, the place to be. So the beloved Buddhists uh, couldn't bear to use the word God because they're atheists there. So they sweetly changed the word that the translators uh, uh, blessed them, not too much, but blessed them. So they used the word, they said it was divine abiding. Divine sounds easier than abiding in God, you see, or abiding in the the Buddha says, abiding, he says, in the kingdom of God, he says, as well, elsewhere. So they changed from God to divine, because then it's, you know, the atheist can feel a bit more relaxed. <coughs> but the word is Brahma. What's important about this, and relating to the days that we have uh, here, actually it's quite, quite, imp- quite important, when one looks at Brahma Vihara as abiding in God, with the skillfulness of the Buddha's uh, Dharma here, he makes a shift and keeps the word, that's the skillful means here, and in making the shift, the shift is away from God up there who loves me. God up there who will look after me or whatever brings as it were God so to speak as Jesus did as well much more down to earth in the midst of our life be ever watchful Jesus says the kingdom of God is amongst you that's down to earth as you can get with it and then he's asked that is the Buddha is asked well when you are speaking of God, what are you referring to? What, do, what, what does it mean to abide in God uh, there? And rather than have any kind of abstract kind of viewpoint uh, about it, it's four primary areas which are referred to, and each one of them is equally important, and one is called the meta, which you've heard both of us. Uh, speak to you about which the main meaning of it is love another major meaning of it is loving kindness and another major meaning of it uh, is friendship and this love and loving kindness or friendship depending on the concept is a very profound human experience there which when it's authentic it is very very deep and the Buddha's use of God and its relationship to love is a real reminder to all of us there if you are of religious disposition if you feel comfortable with the word God to remind that love in its meta sense runs very very deep because it's an abiding in God similarly with compassion in the Buddha's Dharma um, there is no such thing as self-compassion it's an appalling ideology it's an import from the West 
and compassion in the Buddha Dharma uh, there is the confirmation of God and therefore it's, it's really genuinely really really deep and what that means here that compassion is love which is engaged in an activity to end suffering there's nothing personal about it whatsoever it's not about self and that finding of love with its movement to relieve and end uh, uh, suffering is the confirmation in the, the language the kingdom of God is amongst us what's easily happened in the tradition here e easily happened when one takes away the depth the depth of the teaching and the, uh, the Buddha's making the teaching equal, it's a wonderful skillful means I uh, have to say making the teachings equally available to those who are deeply religious who have a real feeling and devotion to God with the many names from the many religious traditions uh, they have a real feeling and, and the Buddha's being really respectful to that pointing to it in a very deep way and equally he's being very respectful to those women and men who simply cannot connect with the hearts and the feelings with the language of God it's just my one liner not our cup of tea and therefore he's used the language of Brahma of God he's used the language of Dharma which has no personal connotation to it in the way that the language of God often has and, and, and that is an encouragement for women and men to listen and once again for the heart to see what's supportive for you to, to get back to the, the, the root the Buddha has used Brahman here not Brahmin, Brahmin is the person, the priest Brahman and he states I realised Brahman there and the realising of Brahman the meaning of the word and it's a word of liberation the meaning of the word is to really know deep even deeper than the heart this one so deep to know the immeasurable and this is liberation and for some the realising of the of Brahman is via Brahma Vihara just to find it an amazing teaching that love and compassion and the two other uh, 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 areas which are so important this appreciative joy this mudita it's a lovely lovely word this mudita real appreciative joy to bring uh, the, the happiness out of the being 
there. So the Buddha was asked, why do we live this way of life? And apart from all the challenges of living it, it also, as he commented, because it's the happiest way to live. Because there's something authentic about it. And the fourth one is equanimity. Uh, I said it one-to-one with one of you a little uh, while ago. And sometimes, because it's number four, it kind of ends up as the poor cousin of loving-kindness. I think sometimes it would be better if it started off with the equanimity and then the loving-kindness at the end, and that was the poor cousin. What I mean by that, uh, they're very important, uh, is that I think it's unwise, unhelpful, problematic for a human being to have expectations on herself or himself that one should be loving loving all the time, kindness all the time. And that should be our aim. It's a lovely, ambitious idea uh, there. It's hugely romantic, massively idealistic to be have love, and then we heard this other charged word, unconditional love, all the time. I have been on this earth, well, not that it's a qualification, longer than most of you, and I've had the privilege of spending my life in the religious, spiritual circles, from school, to employment, to travel, etc., I have not yet found a single human being in here, out there, who is living with unconditional love all the time. If you know of anybody, send me a text. (laughs) I'll be there. I will have a few questions to ask because that's my job, etc. So the idea of the unconditional love, I I think it's born out of this Anglo-German romanticism and not much to do with the Dharma, to be honest. And and the Buddha has recognised this. And the recognition of it is in one of the very famous statements that he has made, frequently mistranslated. And the statement is, Blame, intense form, hatred. Blame does not cease with blame, he says. Blame ceases with non-blame. One sees the translations and it says, and the translators write, blame or hatred does not cease with hatred, it, it ceases with love. Mm, Buddha's not so naive to come out with that one. That sometimes in life, we heard a little bit with the uh, lovely talk from Bo yesterday evening, absence matters deeply. And what that means is, non-blame is absence. It's the absence of blame. And there is a recognition with the Buddha We do not have to be in loving kindness to the other, whoever he or she or uh, they may be. 
but can we have enough equanimity enough steadiness in our being and enough clarity in heart and mind that we are not engaged in aversion and reaction and fault-finding and justifying violence or whatever it might be. We don't have to love. We don't have, we don't have to keep telling us, I should really uh, love this person who violated me, who abused me, who did horrible things to other people in this world. Uh, yeah. But we can find enough steadiness in the absence of the blame, in the absence of the abuse or the reaction, and out of the absence of something deep may come. And to me, it kind of reflects and it mirrors for us the human experience there. So that we look at our being in life and with friendship and love and loving kindness, with compassion, with appreciative joy and with equanimity, it is to recognize since the word Brahma is used, that's to give it some uh, authority, is to give it some momentum, is to give it some depth uh, uh, to it. There may be times when that sense of something deep and there is a response to something deep which brings out of us something really precious in life and a, a sustainable dedication. But please don't think sitting on a meditation cushion and having some sweet, nice, loving-kindness thoughts about people or sending some compassion around the corner while you're on the cushion. Please don't think that has something to do with Brahma Vihara. It's very far away from it. So we can talk about Brahma Vihara, talk about loving kindness, we can talk about compassion, etc. But it's not, if the Buddha had felt as an example, that was okay, he would not have prefixed it with an extraordinary powerful statement, Brahma Vihara, to abide in God, to abide deeply in the Dharma. That's something else. And there's a danger in these uh, explorations of the heart and uh, religious life and dharma, dharma life that we start using it lightweight we get out of touch with the deep transformative, transformative aspect of this there are times, times here with the heart life that uh, uh, arises uh, with us. Whether it's in the listening to the teachings and um, uh, in the meditations and uh, 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 much, much more. 
There have been a few key words which, of the heart which we have been and are uh, using. And it's interesting in the matters of the heart and going uh, uh, deep. And the, and the Buddha obviously has used the word uh, deep uh, with us. That the interaction of feeling and thought heart and mind is a really interesting exploration the relationship one to the other it's too much and it's not quite accurate to say one causes the other this is what I mean by this we might take another word here so let's take some of the heart words we've used okay. happiness Feelings which influence the body. Joy. Feelings which are more sublime and more subtle, not necessarily impacting on the cells there. Um, uh, appreciation. Another one. Gladness. Uh, another one. And there are different ranges of feeling or words there. It can be useful and beneficial because the word, let's take happiness for the moment, doesn't necessarily, it's not kind of detached from everything else. It comes out of the being. And sometimes in life, like the word happiness, that's one small example, we're, just, we're meditating and we just take the word happiness. And we just, as someone was already engaged in this, uh, was telling me today, and we just take the word happiness and just quietly receptive to this particular word there. And just see in the space of our heart, with the calmness and the relaxation that we've been cultivating over the days, what's the response from inside of us of happiness? There is also the same principle applied uh, with the other words as well. And having, according to your heart, in terms of the theme for today, if the language of Dharma, which we use 90% of the time, is lovely, but if some of you genuinely, ha and, are, and some of you of, of uh, religious uh, orders here, Christian religious orders in the hall here, have a, uh, uh, an empathetic, warm feeling around the language of God, uh, there which is lovely and precious. Please, while you are here, respond to it. Listen to it, God. And let that rest uh, with you. Or happiness, let it uh, rest with you. And then one quietly, in the process of the meditation, it can then contribute to going more deeply, quite deeply absorbed, jhana, to use the Buddha's word, quite deeply absorbed into the being, and as we get more deeply absorbed in, a, in, in stillness and in the quiet silence, 
and in the quiet receptivity and the breath is just coming and going but the primary is in the silence and the stillness it may bring out something quite refreshing it might bring out what our Christian brothers and sisters might call a revelation it might bring out something which you have never ever thought of in your entire life and something just comes through and we small modest creatures as we are we can't so to speak go to that which reveals called the ultimate Dharma called the immeasurable called God called truth you and I can't say we will just go to that we as human beings in this participatory engagement what we can do and the best we can do is to be receptive to that through our silence and our spaciousness and our inner uh, listening and our love of Dharma or our love of God to allow that to move through the being and something may come out quite unexpected sometimes to the point that it changes our life and these insights the Buddha's language these realizations realizations mean what comes through is real because it gets actualized and so the experiences of God the experiences of Dharma experiences of the immeasurable or whatever uh, word it's not in the Dharma teaching that the experience is the most important thing even though we will share our experience with you and you with us experience is, is never what should we call it queen bee of the meditator's life not the case at all what's the significance is what emerges the insights the revelations the discoveries the understanding uh, uh, the love the compassion what emerges out of, out of it that's the significant and why that's important is that most insights and realizations haven't come on the meditation cushion Uh, I'm sorry I know you spend so many hours on the cushion that it's not from the cushion cushion is not (laughs) G-O-D you get the point it might seem like it but it's not and the, the cushion as a fact or as a metaphor and, and including sitting and walking and uh, reclining uh, in this is the contribution with our own modesty as human beings our own humility as human beings in a way our innocence 
is a certain natural letting go and giving up and I can't get it. I can't get that which I want, which I may not even be able to name. I can't get it. I can't look at it and get it. I can get something else. And we realize I can't get it. And that renunciation or letting go, rather than turning away from, leaves us with a certain kind of innocence. Jesus says, in the, uh, he says, beautiful statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's like when we can't do anymore, we've got nothing, we're giving up, we're letting go, we're just in our silence, in our stillness, in our humility, in our modesty. Maybe, maybe, out of that, something is realised which is immeasurable. And it's never far away from where we are. It is so close, God, truth, the immeasurable. What's remarkable and precious about it, it's closer than our thoughts. Thoughts are rather far away. I know they seem a bit close, but actually they're quite far away. What's really closer <laughs> is actually deeper. And the sense of all of this uh, can bring about, as I mentioned uh, earlier, for some of us, a kind of being at ease with the religious language some of us, and being at ease with the spiritual language and the ease with the secular language and the ease with the Dharma language because we kind of got to know, ah, it's just languages. Words which are important for some people may be less important for others and not important at all. And we begin to recognize the words that I use as a human being, that the meaning which I give to the word, and the words that other use, and what she or he gives, that we might meet, but we might not. And sometimes with these, the Dharma God uh, words, and uh, uh, many others it's important to be able to listen to the sense of things there and perhaps out of that there is a sense of an immeasurable freedom which appreciates the diversity of language which appreciates the differences of languages that go uh, on in the religious and spiritual world uh, there. And perhaps in all, in all of that, all of that languages that we use, it rests in something which is 
not of language. All the languages that we use rests in something which is not of language. But if a person says, you can't speak about it, I would say, tragic. Then we've put a limitation on what we can speak about. Oh, you can't speak about that, it's beyond words. Oh, yes you can. We can speak about it, we're human. We can e explore the words, explore the language, talk about uh, deep things. <coughs> may not be so easy, but I think it's better to keep it in the spoken and have a dogma, oh you can't talk about it, it's beyond words. Oh no, of course we can. We're human, we have a wonderful potential for that. We have our great masters who <coughs> express beautiful languages to us. We have our great poets who have said beautiful things to us. We've had the odd voice who has said a few words to us and it's just been the right moment and the right time and it's touched us deeply. And if we understand that well and clearly, really well and clearly, language is the confirmation of the deep. Let's have a quiet minute, shall we? May all beings explore the depth. May all beings recognize the great place of a heart and mind. May all beings live with love and liberation.